Hey guys, uh, this is uh, Steve Dace here at uh, Blaze TV Radio and Podcast, and I'm not entirely sure how good this is going to sound, both in terms of technically and even emotionally. Um, if you're listening to this, we actually um, pre-taped today's show because I have a long-standing speaking engagement today that was booked many, many, many moons ago. Uh, so I'm actually traveling like right now, uh, to Montana uh, to speak this weekend. And so uh, the Dace Group and everything that that you're going to watch and hear today uh, was taped yesterday. Um, And so obviously it included a lot of great information about uh, the big uh, Supreme Court gun rights case, but um, it's not going to include the even bigger win that happened earlier today uh, with Roe v. Wade. And so I just could not let the day pass. Of course, uh, Monday we will have um, a, a ton of content and analysis of this, but um, I, I just could not let the day pass today without taking a few minutes and just uh, finding a quiet place here uh, from the crowd and uh, just giving you my thoughts. And first, I want to just start on an emotional, personal level, because um, I ain't going to lie, man, I've shed a few tears. <laughs> I mean, I just, I never thought that this would ever happen, ever. Um, it, it still has not even sunk in yet. I hate to say this, it might, <laughs> the riots from the other side, maybe that's what it'll take for it to actually feel like this is happening, this is real. <clears throat> There's been uh, so much darkness here, particularly this month. And um, and I and let me say this too. I, I know, you know, you're going to go to the grocery store today, man. And you're still going to see they're selling ridiculous rainbow licorice. And libs of TikTok is still going to have all kinds of content. And on and on it goes. But uh, celebrate all victories. All victories, especially big ones like this. Sufficient are the worries for tomorrow. That, that tomorrow will take care of itself. Today, uh, today, grace and mercy shone through the darkness. Embrace that light. Step into that light. Let that, let that light refresh you because the battle will go on. We do have other fronts. including other pro-life fronts. Forgive me, I told you, I've shed a few tears. I'm trying to clear my voice, but uh, we do have other pro-life fronts. You know, now that they're not going to be able to murder as many babies before they were born as they wanted to, they're going to try to poison them, inject them, right? Uh, We know this. If If you're listening to me right now, you know all of this. But I would urge you to resist the temptation to instantly remind people and jump in today. Hey, there's more. Our people, and if we're being honest with ourselves, each other as well, are tapped, man. We're tapped. We are (laughs) surrounded on every side. What can the righteous do if the foundations crumble, if they fail, right? And hopelessness is a difficult temptation to withstand. 
if you were in the middle of a football season and your team just won a very big game, you wouldn't go into the locker room with them celebrating and say, hey, guys, nothing matters until we win the game three weeks from now. You wouldn't do that. Now, you wouldn't let them go on celebrating over and over and over again day after day after day as if the season was over when it wasn't. But in that moment, in that moment, that energy, that momentum they feel, the confidence they get from that win, you need to let them have that. And you need that as the coach because it's, it's what will give you the energy and the momentum to finish the race, to finish the season, to get to that next juncture that you're concerned about. So it's on a Friday. Praise God. Take this whole weekend, man. Embrace the light. Step into it. Recharge your battery. And let others do the same. Don't feel the need to nitpick or correct or come over the top rope or remind people or pivot. That doesn't mean don't talk about any other issues, but don't do anything to minimize the magnitude of this win at all would be my encouragement to you. And not just even on a strategic standpoint, but just for your own personal benefit. I don't know about you, but man, I need W's. And right now, I'm somewhere between holding back tears to I want to run through a wall, okay? Because as some of you and a lot of you probably know now, because I probably talk about it too much of anything, I mean, I'm a kid born to a 15-year-old mom who found out she's pregnant with me shortly before Roe v. Wade and thought long and hard about aborting me. And now, 48 years later, she's sitting here with three grandkids she adores and She'll tell you I'm the best mistake she ever made. But I can't help wonder on a day like this, how many, how many other babies were killed by this wretched, demonic, fateful decision? And then, likewise, you know, I'm sure when my mom was sitting there at 15 and her mom is twice divorced and they're basically, you know, living in a white ghetto in Des Moines, and those first few years, I'm guessing, man, how, why did I make this decision? We're on food stamps, ADC, um, uh, welfare, you know, we're moving all the time. I, I could have changed my life for the better if I'd never had this kid. I, I've never talked to my mom about that, and I would never ask her that, but she wouldn't be human if she didn't think that, at least at some point. But she, she persevered, finished the race. And now, you know, I just saw her last week. She came into town to see us all. It was great to see her again. It had been about a year. And uh, she had no idea the life, when she made that decision, she didn't know the life that she would have sacrificed had she made it. And now she does. And now she doesn't look back on that moment with any regret at all. And so it's not just the babies that were killed, but how many would-be moms became damaged, broken, and then went into relationships damaged and broken and then broke those relationships because of the wound that they inherited from accepting the lie of this decision. I I just want to let that kind of just simmer for a minute. The stakes here of this win. 
So I've talked a little bit about just my own emotional state, how personal it is, this issue. Let's look now a little bit more strategically because there's a lot of political lessons to be learned by this, a lot. First of all, if you look at it from a judicial standpoint, uh, the court today reminded us that it can overrule itself. It can overrule bad past precedent. We've been told this lie for a generation that whatever these federal judges at any level, whether it's any district court or any Supreme Court, whatever they decree is law forever, cannot be changed. And, and even a lot of this so-called legal beagles on our own side have told us that we have to accept this reality. This is the new law, and we have to find ways within those parameters to fight for what we believe in, but never actually challenge the premise of what has been imposed on us to begin with. And that's why we spent decades wasting our time between Casey and today on a bunch of and-then-you-can-kill-the-baby laws that didn't save any babies. Finally, within this last decade, we'd had enough whether it was personhood, that was the movement I was a part of, or heartbeat bills. But both of those tactics instantaneously began to beg the question, when does life begin, or what is a life, which challenges the premise of Roe v. Wade. And it wasn't until we did that. Another way of putting it is it wasn't until we actually started making our argument, that we started actually making the argument we claimed was our argument, that we started winning the argument. Let that be a lesson to you. Always, always attack the premise of your opponent's argument. Never abandon the premise of your own argument. Never abandon the moral high ground, ever. That's right out of rules for patriots, guys. Ten Commandments of Political Warfare. And you've seen it honored here. And then you saw the way that the best of our judges and the opinions they wrote today, I mean, Thomas going so far as to say, this applies to all kinds of things like Windsor and Obergefell. He put that right in writing, talking about the marriage rulings from a few years ago. Because if the court can overrule itself on this, it can overrule itself on anything. And it always could. The question was not whether we were going to defeat judicial supremacism. The question was whether we actually also believed in it. Well, the court has said this, so let's find a religious exemption or some kitty corner or ban some method of abortion. Um, and, and no, go right at the heart of the enemy, the literal enemy here, the heart of darkness. In this last decade, we've done this, and here we are. And there's no way we would be, we would be here if Donald Trump had not won the presidency in 2016. That just has to be acknowledged. And we've already given God the, great, the, the credit he deserves with the grace and mercy shown to us today. It's okay to give Donald Trump a little bit of the credit today that he deserves. And if you're at a point, frankly, that you can't bring yourself to do that, then that's not about Trump, man. That's about you. You got to let that idol go. I had to let it go. I had no idea. If I, if I really believed there was any shot after getting to know him for several years, he would appoint the justices that would overturn Roe. There's no way I would have fought him all the way to the convention floor and not voted for him in 2016. But I thought there was no shot. Not after what I saw during that campaign. 
And I, to this day, I don't know, did I let that anger and bitterness of that campaign impact me to the end? Perhaps. Was I reacting honestly to some of the gaslighting and dishonesty that I had seen? Perhaps. Could it have been a little bit of both? Most likely. But we're here today, in no small part, because Donald Trump made a promise And I know it just sounds weird. Imagine if you had the 1985 culture war bingo card and you're like, I'm going with Donald Trump ends Roe v. Wade. Well, congratulations. You are the grand prize winner of all time. All right. Or if you had that bingo card in 1995, 2005, hell, 2015. Uh, But here we are. And he, I mean, I remember the last debate when he said, uh, you know, I'm going to appoint justices that overturn Roe. I'm like, well. He actually really does want to win if he's saying that because Republicans never said that running for president. They just said they're going to appoint strict constructionist judges. Well, he did. And here we are. And this is, he deserves every bit the credit for this that Abraham Lincoln does for the Emancipation Proclamation. And there I said it. He absolutely does. Do you know how Trump found out about these judges, where these names came from? Because some conservative leaders actually used their influence to influence him, to leverage him, as opposed to just getting a seat at his table and kissing his ass. That's another lesson. Political leverage was used. Trump wanted your support. So when you used your leverage, he accepted it and gave you what you wanted. You cornered him. You didn't cover for him. Mitch McConnell did not permit the confirmation of Merrick Garland as the replacement for Antonin Scalia because he knew he was cornered. If he does this, believe me, this is the only time you've ever seen Mitch McConnell go to the mattresses on an issue we care about the entire time he's been in Senate leadership, which is too long of a time. Why did he do it on this one? Because he knew that the biggest reason people maintain voting Republican, despite all the times they betray us and screw us, the biggest reason that they still vote, that we still vote for them, is judicial appointments. And he knows this. He knows this. And so he knew that if I don't draw a red line and fight here, the entire canard of the Republican Party is exposed and we're doomed So this is now the one time I'll push all my chips in and be a Republican Senate leader. Again, you had him cornered. There's a pattern here. I mean, George W. Bush wanted Harriet Myers as the Supreme Court justice instead of Samuel Alito, who wrote that opinion today. Decimating stare decisis, which is a complete canard. That's a term we've used a lot because the ultimate canard was Roe v. Wade. So why did you end up with Alito instead of Harriet Myers? Because you stood up to him. You cornered him at that time. You didn't cover for him. This is why I've been saying on my show the last few months, I got out of the primary business because I realized the candidates weren't the issue. The people were. That if we could sufficiently and properly radicalize our people, it almost wouldn't matter who wins these primaries. They're not sitting over there on the Democratic side, guys carefully going through every statement and record of every candidate in their open primaries, 
you know, are they sufficiently Marxist enough? They never have those. When's the last time you saw any of those kinds of clips on from CNN or MSNBC? Hey, they're going to nominate a Dino in Arkansas. Never. You never hear that. Why? Because their base is sufficiently radicalized. So the expectation is you will have to meet that level of radicalization to represent that base, or you won't any longer. That's why when we finally see two exceptions in Manchin um, and... Uh, no, I can't remember her face in Arizona. Forgive me. Kirsten Cinema, thank you. You see those exceptions in Cinema and Mansion. That's why they're losing their minds, because that's not typically how it's worked for the last few decades. They know whether it's Mary Landrew in Louisiana or Diane Feinstein in California, they're going to get the same level of crazy because they're, they demand it. That base is sufficiently radicalized. And that's why the last few years I've changed my strategy and my focus to trying to radicalize you. Theologically first, spiritually first, philosophically second, and then ultimately politically. Because if you can get radicalized enough, you've always had this power, folks. You've always had it. You've always had this leverage. You always have. You've always had the power that it didn't matter if John Cornyn or Sam Houston was a senator from Texas, that if friggin' Texas was Texas, you'd get the same thing. You'd get Sam Houston from John Cornyn. It's just we haven't been sufficiently radicalized. We've been anesthetized by a lot of luminaries on Fox News, by idolatry of the Republican Party, using it as a salvationary vehicle instead of a, uh, instead of a utilitarian one. It's a means to an end. Doesn't, uh, there's nothing special about being a registered Republican or being a member of the Republican Party. It's not a church. It's not the Red Cross. It's just a political party. It's a means to an end. Do what I want. I'll give you what you want from me. Don't, and I'll go get somebody who will. That's it. Like if your job stopped paying you, you wouldn't go back to work for free. You go get another job. Or, you know, maybe you'd form a union, collectively bargain, and use your leverage, see what I did there, to corner the job to giving you the pay that you think you deserve. We've never done that with this party except on rare occasions. And on the, it's funny, on the rare occasions we've done it, it has like almost always worked. <laughs> it's about cornering these people, not covering for them. Politics is a game of leverage. You had leverage on Mitch McConnell. He knew he could not let this go. He knew if Merrick Garland took of all seats Antonin Scalia's, let alone if it was Anthony Kennedy, that might have been different. Maybe he doesn't do it. But it's Antonin friggin' Scalia, the greatest, arguably the greatest justice of the 20th century. And if he lets Obama appoint on his way out the door, his successor, the canard of the Republican Party, the House of Cards, falls apart. So you had Mitch McConnell cornered. He had to fight. Corner Republicans more often and far more often than you cover for them. They're not your team. They're not your, they're not your quarterback. Terrell Owens, they're your friggin' employees and treat them accordingly. When they do well, reward them, give them raises, increase their benefits. And when they repeatedly don't, fire them and get new employees. (sighs) 
there's a lot more I could say. Um, this has already run longer than I told Aaron it would. <laughs> so, but um, we'll have a lot, of course, on this on the show uh, on Monday uh, when I get back from Montana. But uh, just want to say again, praise God. Let the light shine through today and the next couple of days. Don't immediately try to jump to the next darkness that must be confronted. And believe me, there is plenty of it. But take the win. Take the W. Take this one. We need it. It's a big one. It's arguably the shibboleth of this age. It's the ultimate shibboleth of the damned of this age. And now God has given us And Donald Trump, through his appointments, have given us an opportunity to smash it and send it back to the bowels of hell where it belongs. Celebrate that. There will be plenty of other battles for me and people like me to direct you to and raise your awareness level of in the near future. But for now, celebrate. Life wins. Hope wins. I'll see you guys on Monday. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.